0: Get you some radio. Yes. You gotta believe in yourself. I do tell that a lot of times to musicians. You know, they'll they'll say, "Hey, you know, will you listen to my band?" And I'll say, "Are you any good?" And that always kind of disarms people. Like, right. What do you mean? Like, are you good? Yeah. And and sometimes you, you can see it. They're like, "Well, I'm working on it." And you know, yeah. And it's one thing to be humble. That's fine. But at the same time, you gotta believe. You gotta you gotta know that you have what it takes to. To go after it. No, no, no! Your weekly dose of inspiration, inspiration. Perspiration, perspiration,
1: and just the right amount of bull defecation. Ah! The Getcha Some Radio Show with your host,
0: the Vice President of Making Shit Happen, Terry Lancaster.
1: I am uh, around these parts what we call a unicorn. I'm the last person in Nashville from Nashville. Grew up here, been in Nashville most of my entire life, and uh, I've always been around country music stars, celebrities, uh, country music royalty. so I've never really been phased by it. I uh, My very first job when I was in high school, I delivered lime green jello to Tammy Wynette in her in her hospital room. When I was in college, working retail, I sold a toaster oven to Roseanne Cash. I've, I eat at the same restaurants all the time. See, Alan Jackson used to see George Jones all the time at the Logan's in, uh, in Cool Springs, and... Uh, uh Vince Gill one time saved my, my two-year-old daughter's life when she almost fell off the steps so and she was just learning how to walk. And boom, my hand reached out and caught her, and, and that was Vince Gill. Uh, the, the strangest of all my celebrity uh, encounters is I've, I've showered with country music superstar Dirk Bentley. So don't really like to talk about that, but I have. But my, my biggest Nashville moment comes with today's guest. I walked into a show about four or five years ago, and uh, my favorite band from the 90s was playing. And there was there on the stage was uh, was smiling Jay McDowell playing the bass, and uh, he gave me a little salute when he saw me walk in. So my favorite band waved to me from the stage, and that was uh, Jay McDowell from BR Five Four Nine. He's uh, he's today's guest now. BR Five Four Nine in the late nineties was my favorite band. They they come out of Nashville like a firestorm, swept across the nation, had the late night talk shows, Grammy nominations. They did the whole nine yards and it started pretty much. For a, the grounds, it started as a groundswell, but it seemed like it came out of nowhere. So we're going to talk – I know we talk a lot with the salespeople and entrepreneurs, but musicians are the ultimate entrepreneurs. They have to be grinding all the time. So we're going to be back to talk with Jay McDowell about how BR549 came about, how he got the ball rolling, and how he's turned it into a career now with what he's doing at the, at the Musicians Hall of Fame here in Nashville. So he's, he's built a, 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 a spark into a fire. We'll be back with Day, Jay McDowell right after this. Make more friends, sell more cars. 97% of car shoppers say they would prefer to know their salesperson before they ever set foot in the dealership. People buy from people they know, like and trust, and they refer their family and friends to people they know, like and trust. Visit TerryLancaster.org to learn how your sales staff can get more reviews, more referrals, and more repeat business by building better, stronger, more authentic relationships, online and in real life terrylancaster.org smiling jay mcdowell what's going on buddy hello how you been i'm fantastic brother i'm i'm, I'm so excited to, to have you on here i uh i've, I've been connected with jay. jay jay plays hockey that's how i know most everybody that that i know so uh it, it, some of it comes comes about from hockey so i met jay through through the ice rink like i meet most people and um and it was it was so fascinating. Like I said, they were they were they were they were my big time superstars. I used to sing I used to sing "Slewfoot" to my kids when they were two and three years old. So that was uh, that was all oh, right on. <laughs> so, but uh, I've had a chance to talk with Jay a few times, and more importantly, he shares stories on Facebook about about the the whirlwind tour. That, uh, that happened when uh, when BR, BR549 just sort of blew up. And he's an amazing storyteller. He's, he's parlayed that career into a video editing career. He's working at the Musicians Hall of Fame. He's now a columnist writing in, uh, in a Hillbilly magazine. Uh, so he's, he's he's telling stories. So I ha- wanted to have him on the show to tell some of his stories. And, and Jay, tell us just how, how did it you, – you came to Nashville, and you, you were just a guy from, from, from Illinois, right? Indiana, close in, enough. Indiana, one of those I states, right there in the middle. So, yeah. so you you came down here to to be around Nashville. Tell us, tell us how you came here and how everything came about. How you how how you got the ball rolling?
0: Sure. Well, I grew up playing playing music, and um, you know, the very first time I came to Nashville as a child, uh, I was just swept up in it. It was everybody played music, and music yeah. was all around, and I just was fascinated by that. So. Coming from Indiana, a lot of my friends there said, "Why would you? Why would you go to Nashville? Everybody's good there. You know, <laughs> you, won't, you won't stand out. You know, you know." And and that was my answer. Everybody's good. That's why yeah. I want to go to Nashville. So yeah. uh, it was. It seemed like a really easy decision. Uh, and looking back on it, I'm so glad I did. That uh, uh, nothing against Indiana, but I I really really feel like Nashville is the place. There's all the synergy going on here, and there's just uh, just a creative playground here it's it's like you kind of touched on uh, I can't live up to that introduction you gave but uh, music and video and just all types of media and um, art and culture it's all here and uh, I just I just was drawn to it love it yeah, well, you know, there's there, there's a million and one guitar
1: pickers in Nashville, and they all they all come here from from every parts. And then you know, the joke is, well, you're a guitar player. Well, what what restaurant, what restaurant are you waiting tables at? And you know, <laughs> everybody I know, no, not everybody, you know, but I know a million people who came here from somewhere else, and they were the biggest deal in the world from where they were. They were they and and they're still. I know people who've been in Nashville 20 years who are, are building houses or, you know, working, working in an office somewhere who still have a following in, you know, Nantucket when they go back home, they can still sell out a bar because they're, 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 they're the biggest thing there. So sure. you know, how do you, how do you parlay that from being the biggest fish in a small pond to, to coming to Nashville and uh, where everyone's good and, and, and uh, how, how do you, how, how well, do you get known?
0: How do you get known in, in ah. such a big bond? Uh, yeah, there's no answer. There's no correct answer to that. Uh, you just you just uh, luck into a really good band and go out and sell millions of records. That's all you do. It's that simple. Yeah. No, <laughs> it is. It but, is that simple. It is that simple. But but it comes. It, the, you you don't you didn't luck
1: into BR Five You uh you networked your way into BR Five I did.
0: I hustled. I hustled. I I was going down to Lower Broadway when um, it was just singer songwriters. It wasn't bands. Um, there was the, the, the landscape of lower Broadway back then, or we're talking early nineties was, it was songwriters trying to get their songs heard with the hope that, uh, someone would come through and hear their song and, and get it to the right person. And, and that, that seemed to be the hustle on lower broad. That was, it was people trying to get their songs heard. And when I met Chuck Mead, uh, he was down there as, as a songwriter and, uh, was working at Tootsies actually. And he had just met up with Gary Bennett who had moved to town also as a songwriter and uh, they got together and started playing and and put the band together. And and so I just kind of smiled my way in and became the bass player. And uh, it was unique because it was a, it was a show. It wasn't just, it wasn't us just trying to get our songs heard. We were, we were a band and we were putting it on. And uh, like you said earlier, uh, that's the amazing thing about Nashville. Everybody, that you encounter the guy at the gas station where you get your gas the mm-hmm. exactly your waiter or your bartender you find out eventually that they are really good songwriters or a great drummer or you know it's just it's you you come to expect that that everybody plays music
1: yeah so i mean and this was this was in the 90s this was in the days before social media how did you right. And, and and that's one thing I want to touch on a little later. How 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 things have changed for the artists now because you have a you have a different different venue to get you expressed. But in the in the, uh, in the early '90s, I guess there were still porn shows and uh, porn stores and pawn shops up and down Broadway. Is that how is that all long
0: yeah. Yeah. yeah, peep shows. And there were no police down there. It was uh, it was wide open. I mean, it was it was it was shady and and uh, dangerous. And I laugh now that uh, I have three kids. And I won't think twice about taking them downtown right now. Yeah. Uh, I, don't, I don't worry about it. Back then, if I had kids, I would not have been hanging around Lower Broadway. <laughs> but as a person in my early 20s, it was an amazing place to be. It was, it was over the top. And, and it was just, there was a, you know, we felt like we were getting a show. We, we were putting on a show, playing in the band, but night after night, these people that showed up and the crazy characters that we interacted with. It was a show for us too.
1: You met Chuck, you met Gary down on Broadway and uh, you, you guys clicked. How did, uh, how did, how did it start? I mean, you, you, you were playing, but how did you become, how did you go from being the local guys down on Broadway to being on David Letterman?
0: (laughs) Well, in hindsight, it happened really fast. Um, It certainly didn't seem like it at the time, but, uh, we were just playing for tips and having a ball, doing whatever we wanted to do. Lower Broad was so wide open. There was no um, formula. There wasn't, you know, it was just nobody expected anything of us. <laughs> so we just, it, But it allowed us the freedom to do what we wanted to do that we loved. Um, so we would occasionally meet with uh, record label people, and they would talk to us about, well, you got to change this, and you're going to have to add a keyboard player, and you can't dress that way, and you certainly can't. <laughs> call yourself PR 549 they they would come with with every reason that that we needed to change but we weren't in it to that wasn't our end goal to sell a bunch of records right we wanted to do what we were doing and have fun so it made it easy to turn them away now the more we turned them away the more desirable we became because <laughs> we, we didn't want to play the game uh, so, but I certainly didn't look at it like, oh, we're gonna play this old-timey music and dress funny and call ourselves an odd mixture of numbers and letters, and we're gonna be the next big thing. Uh, I certainly never saw that coming. Um, then, as kids started coming, and it was just we were seeing that it was just this wide range of audience was uh, the demographic was across the board, and it was there was no typical visitor. It was it was just everybody, and and people could relate to it and have a good time and people danced at Roberts down on Broadway. Uh, so many, as you know, growing up in Nashville, you go to shows and people don't dance. Right. It's, it's all musicians. They're all standing there and and they might really be enjoying the show, but it's like everybody's very uh, cerebral and, and, uh, you know, takes it in and yeah. And down on Broadway, it was different. People were drinking and having a good time and dancing and, and it was just all types of people coming together. So that was, uh, that was our strength. We saw that. We knew that we were reaching all types of people. Uh, From a marketing point of view, it was a head scratcher because who do you market to? Yeah. And we, as a band, we figured that wasn't our problem. We were just going to do what we like to do and let the suits figure that out. Uh, So we ended up signing with Arista records and um, made a, made a record. I'm still really proud of that very first album. And yet it just seemed like in no time we were on the road and traveling and having a ball. And then I blinked twice and we were on David Letterman <laughs> and, uh, at the Grammys. And just, it was just a whirlwind. It was, like I said, I couldn't process it all. It was too much coming at us every day. And I would call my mother back in Indiana and tell her what was going on. And I, I felt like she was the only person I could brag to because yeah. Everything I was telling her was this amazing stuff. And it felt like if I told my friends, they were like, Oh, you know, you think you're a big shot, you know? And, right. and, and it's like, I couldn't tell everything that was happening because it was just every day was more fantastic. And we got to meet, you know, our idols and we're going to these places that we'd only dreamed about and, and uh, got to experience and live it out. So, so uh, I was, I think I was talking to you earlier about that, that, uh, not having social media at the time now I'll, I'll kind of go back, and something will spur memories. Um, you know, a, a picture will show up, or an old video clip of something that we that we did, and and I'll, it'll it'll make me remember it again. So I'll, I'll get up in the morning every day and start typing, and, and just it's kind of therapy for me to to yeah. dig back through all this stuff. So uh, that's where the storytelling came from. And then um, as I transitioned from being a musician traveling on the road to a museum job, now I. Uh, stay home in Nashville and and I get to, to deal with these this history and the music and, and all of it. So it's a, a natural transition. So you but you you've got now, uh, you know, twenty years later, you you have a
1: significant social media following. The band still has a social media media following you and you've partly, you're still selling you're selling records on social media. How do you think you would be different if you if you guys were starting the band today in, in this era with, with these tools?
0: Oh, it's, it's a whole different landscape. I, I, I don't have a, I don't have a, a good answer for that. It's, it is different. Uh, it's it's same with the record deals. There's not as much of a use for, um, you know, you, you have the tools at your disposal. Now you can, you can get your music out to the masses. Uh, I think it's good and bad. It's harder to stand out because everybody has those tools available. So right. you're, you're, you know, in, in, you're one of, uh, a million. Um, whereas when we were getting started, uh, we were able to get a record deal, and, and you know we were still—it was still a big sea of releases every week. There's new albums coming out on the the big labels, but but it was like you had a foot in the door. Whereas yeah. now I, I feel like it's it's a lot harder to set yourself apart. Um, but uh, I do uh i i've i've kind of looked back on that it would have been exciting to be able to share everything that we were living every day uh on social media and and i i kind of you know i hate that for we had a telephone hotline that i would update every day and, and talk about our adventures i
1: remember that yeah
0: people would call in it was a toll-free number and that was yeah. that was our social media it was a, it wasn't 1-900 it wasn't 900 hundred, you know, didn't was it wasn't <laughs> no it was a it was a toll-free, and, and, but people could check in, and it was exciting for them to hear about, you know, that we, we were, uh, you know, playing at this club or opening for this superstar or uh, appearing on this TV show, and it was a, a way for us to get the word out, just the same as you would with social media now, that, hey, tomorrow we're going to be on the Conan O'Brien show or next week we're going to be at, uh, you know, Times Square debuting our album or, you know, the, the appearing at a record store and that kind of thing, so that was our, our, our way about it. But uh, I do feel like the the marketing thing is is interesting now because it is out there for everybody to to have a, a shot at it, and uh, it, it does. You know, it's it's amazing the tools we have to work with, but also uh, it's it's bigger hurdles to face.
1: Yeah, I was I was having the I was actually I drove my daughter back to Knoxville yesterday. She's in college there and she, we were we were talking about music and a couple of the bands that she listens to. She's really into them and her friends are really into them, but they're not mainstream bands. They're not they're not on the radio and I said with the way the music industry is, it seems to me, looking as an outsider looking in, that it's harder to blow up and be the big time, you know, to to, to you know, we're, we're probably not going to have many more Rolling Stones. The e- we're not going to have another Eagles that that are that are around for for twenty years and doing that because the, the landscape is so different. But on the other hand, it's easy for easier, I think, for a band to be uh, well, the band that she listened to that we we're talking specifically about were The Maine and, and We the Kings, which are not mainstream bands, but you go to their shows and they're packed. And they're selling right. records, and they're 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 making a living. They're, they're, they're not they're not on Letterman, but they're making a living playing music and having a good time. And and they they've got a following. They've got, they've got
0: their tribes, right? And think about it from a historical perspective. If you go back before the technology was there, you had regional artists playing. I'm talking, you know, before recorded music. So mm-hmm. you you know, before radio, you've got the you know, the, this, this band is making a, a local noise and, and everybody in, the, in that little holler knows them. And the, they're the people that they're dancing to on Saturday nights. And, and you know, to, to the locals, they're famous. Exactly. You go two towns over, nobody's heard of them. So then radio comes out and all of a sudden you have this, literally this antenna that can send the signal out and reach a national audience or, or a much bigger regional audience. Uh, and then you know recording recordings happen and uh, you can you can merchandise it you can sell it you can sell the recordings uh, so it's interesting to see it go from these little pockets to a massive mass media back to these little pockets again it's it's an interesting uh, cycle the way that's that's going through and I can't help but think that there will be another wave of something that we don't even know what it is yet that will bring it all together and it will be a national or a worldwide thing yeah uh, that that could happen but it is it is fascinating like you say to to see these uh, successful musicians in these little areas that you're right you go to the shows and it's it's packed and yet you think well people outside of this little area don't even know about this band yet
1: yeah yeah, it's uh, it's strange. I think so. How much of the music business is the business, and how much of the music business is? I mean, from from your standpoint, how much it was it about the business, and how much is it about just playing the music? And, well, and I think and I think I think the guys have to be both now. They have to be they have to be both more than maybe they were before.
0: Yeah, yeah. And again, you go back to you know the guys that were all about the music and didn't care about the business, and you know you hear the classic stories of the you know the old blues singers getting ripped off and taken advantage of by the businessmen and yeah. And that's not a new story. That's been going on forever. Um, and yes, you do have to watch yourself now and, and um, more so. I always make that analogy that if you, uh, as I was growing up, the, the goal was to get a record deal. Mm-hmm. That seemed to be all end all. And then as I got, as I lived through that and was lucky enough to, to be on a major label and have a, a, big, a big, both publishing deal and a recording contract, uh, I started realizing that a record deal is just a piece of paper. I can give you a record deal. You can yeah. give me a record deal. We can get a <laughs> lawyer and write it up. Yeah, it doesn't really mean anything. It's it's a it's a it's a contract that you can rely on if there's success or right. failure. Um, but the be all end all isn't just to get a record deal. And yeah. that was something I learned after going through it that. Um, it, it took the mystery away from it a little bit and, and the allure of it away yeah. and it took it down and, and realized, well, you still got to work, you still got to get out there. It's, it's almost like once the record deal happened, that's when the job really started.
1: Yeah, same time. Same
0: uh, I'd grown up feeling like, oh, if I just had a record deal, then it would be a cake. And right. uh, then it's, oh, now you're at the very bottom of the chain and you got to work against all these other people that are working their butts off and uh that that became really evident so if,
1: if you if you were a kid who who you know packed up your last two hundred dollars in a beat-up old car and, and threw the guitar in the back seat and you showed up in nashville today what what, what advice
0: would you give him? how would how would how would you get started uh that kid doesn't need advice he's already done it yeah you gotta, you gotta come to nashville you gotta you gotta be where the action is if you're into script writing it it is you, you know you want to be where those people are. You want to be where the business is. I would say head to Southern California because you want to be there. Of course you have uh, people that write songs and just stay where they are and and try to network over the internet and everything. And I don't want to discourage them, but I do tell them my best advice is to come to Nashville. If If you're a performer, if you're a songwriter, you want to be with the people that are fighting the same fight as you and, and, uh that 's my best advice is to to go where the action is if you're uh, you know it's it's it 's daunting it 's a you know it can be a scary prospect but uh that yeah. that is the first hurdle is to, to go where the action is.
1: So so let me let me let me switch it around. Like I said, I, as I told you, most of the people who, who watch this show and listen to this show, there, are they're uh, they salespeople and entrepreneurs. I have a lot of automotive salespeople and insurance agents and real estate sure. agents and plumbing supply salesmen. What what did you learn through all of that and everything that you've done that, that would apply just, just to a per, just to any person selling anything about uh, uh, just just marketing and, and and sales? How does how does how does your experience
0: apply to them? You think? Well we yeah, we absolutely were selling ourselves, um, that was the thing we believed in it we were ourselves we we worked I, on one hand, it was a bit carnival like you're going out, you're being the party you're're you're, you're you know you're hawking yourself you're 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 selling yourself and and you know you're putting across that you're the good time uh, you know as a band right. uh, at the same time i I honestly don't think I could go out. I know I couldn't go out and sell something I didn't believe in. Yeah. Uh, I believed in myself. I believed in us. We all believed in ourselves as a band. We could bring it every night. We we worked hard and we were all we were all all in. Yeah. Uh, I I I am in kind of awe of people that can go out and sell anything. You know, a, yeah. a used car salesman type that can can put it out there and, and sell it. Um, that is impressive to me. Uh, I know that's not answering your question, but yeah. I guess you gotta believe in yourself. I do tell that a lot of times to musicians. You know, they'll they'll say, "Hey, you know, will you listen to my band?" And, and I'll say, "Are you any good?" And that always kind of disarms people. Like, right. What do you mean? Like, are you good? Yeah. And, and sometimes you you can see it. They're like, "Well, I'm working on it." And you know, yeah. And it's one thing to be humble. That's fine. But at the same time, you gotta believe. You gotta you gotta know that you have what it takes to, to go after it. And, and, um, uh, you know, and, and hard work can overcome a lot of, uh, insecurities. Yeah. That's, that's the best advice for sure.
1: Yeah. And, and, and the other thing is that I, I end up talking, I end up meeting people who are, who are coming here and because, and again, because I've been here so long and been around Nashville and I've seen people go through, you know, not everyone's gone through what you have, but I've seen a lot of people who go through peaks and valleys and little bits of it. And, and, not everyone comes out the other side. Okay. Uh, you know, some people come here and don't make it and they go home and some people come here and don't make it, but they end up sticking and they find some way to, to build themselves, whether it's, whether it's ancillary to the industry or, 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 something else. And you've turned, you've parlayed BR 549 into a career in Nashville, uh, from, from a, a, a you tell the story about, um, I guess it was Keith Richards you were jamming with, and you parlayed that into a, a, a video editing career. How do, how, do you, uh, how, do you, how do you come out the other side, and what have you done?
0: Well, you're exactly right. You, the way you set it up there is you, people come here, and they have peaks and valleys, and I have certainly had my share of ups and downs. It's not, all, it's not like I showed up to Nashville and everything just worked out. Uh, you, you win some and you lose some, and you keep, you keep fighting through, and you have to adapt. So yes, I came here as a guitar player. Uh, this band needed an upright bass player, so I became that. I <laughs> jumped in with both feet. Um, it worked out. Uh, we had a really good time. Uh, really good run. Made made a good living. Um, we were uh, in New York City doing some rehearsals with Keith Richards and uh, the Expensive Winos, his solo project. And it was amazing. And we spent three days in New York City. And and, uh, and it was in uh, a rehearsal space. And just Keith was, was just like a, like a teenage boy, you know, excited about music and wanted to talk about uh, guitar tunings and, and instruments and, you know, Hank Williams songs and, and just really down to earth and, and really accessible and, and really fun. And when we were done with the project, it was three days, uh, as we were leaving we were saying goodbye and, and we asked if we could get a picture with him if the band could get a picture with Keith and he said sure and we couldn't come up with a camera this was in the 90s we didn't have cell phone cameras and uh, nobody had a camera so he's kind of yelling at his people like find me a camera and nobody had a camera and it was just kind of awkward and embarrassing and, and my favorite memory of that was Keith said you know how many times people take my picture every day and when I want to have my picture taken, I can't find a camera. <laughs> so uh, we did find a camera. We got the picture. Keith was great, really gracious, really nice to us. We had a ball. Um, but that prompted me to get a hold of our record label at the time was Sony Records. And I said, man, we find ourselves in these amazing situations. And, and you know, I should just have, we should just have a camera with us for when we're with these uh superstars and 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 can can you hook us up with a nice camera and so not only did they send me a nice camera it was a video camera so it it took still photos but it took video and, and yeah. uh, so I just started messing around with this video camera on the road and shooting stuff and and again it, it was we were you know backstage at bob dylan shows and and uh, you know all these big award shows and going to academy of country music awards and Grammys and and NBC studios and all these places and and uh, Don Imus show and just you know just yes. to have that uh, to have footage of that I was just having a blast videotaping everything. Well, that led me to go to Sony and say, Hey, I've got all this amazing footage. Can we um, put out a DVD? At that time, it's about 2000. Um, everybody was putting out with every new album. There would be a bonus DVD, and that was. Yes. And I had this amazing footage. Well, Sony was being sued by the Dixie Chicks. (laughs) And business-wise, their hands were tied, and they couldn't put out anything. They didn't know if it was going to be for two weeks or six months. They just didn't know how long that whole suit was going to happen. So since they couldn't agree to anything, I think to appease me, they said, well, we've got this empty edit suite that you're welcome to mess around with if you want to use it. Uh, I know they were just trying to, you know, shut me up (laughs) by offering me that. But I took it when we weren't on the road. I went into that office at Sony Records and started learning about editing and how to capture the footage. And I started calling old friends that I'd met uh, at our music video shoots and uh, cameramen and and editors and just bugging them and asking them for help. And and so Sony saw me doing that and, and learning how to edit. And then we'd go on the road and then we'd come back and I'd go in there and treat it as an eight to five job and just, you know, I wasn't getting paid, but I was just excited and learning it. So then Sony started throwing me little jobs to do and uh, little promo pieces to edit, that you know, that were in hindsight were very simple. They were really easy jobs. Okay. They, they weren't taking much of a chance on me, but. But they, it was throwing me a little money, and, and yeah. get me, you know when I would deliver, then they'd give me a little bigger job, and then they'd have me do a, an EPK for a new artist or a, this or that. So, so then when it came time for me to, to step out of the band and not be on the road anymore, that was what I wanted to do. So my transition from touring musician to video editor was seamless. It was, yeah. it was, uh, I was uh, motivated and really inspired. And I started working on music videos and TV commercials and uh, CMT shows and uh, HGTV shows and commercials and all these things that were really uh, exciting and fun. I loved the process and you know the technology was brand new and and it was exciting. It was something different every day. And where with the band we were making a record once a year and then going out and playing every night. It right. was fun playing the same song every night. <laughs> but after yeah, after a few years, it starts to be Kind of monotonous yeah the, the creative uh, output was was that kind of once a year kind of thing we you know we'd spend a week in the studio every year mm-hmm. but, uh, with this video editing I was cranking out something new every day and, and sometimes like I said it might have been a soap commercial but you know a lot of times it was music uh, you know live live music performances or uh, documentaries about musicians and, and things and that led me to the museum. They were starting this new Musicians Hall of Fame and needed video work done uh, for the exhibits. And uh, because of my connection with Sony Music, they recommended me. And so I can honestly say that because of Keith Richards, <laughs> I am a multimedia curator at the Musicians Hall of Fame. Now. So, so, so tell us about the museum. Talk, talk about
1: what you've got going on down there. Tell us about the museum, what it is, what's in there, and, and what you do.
0: We are on the first floor of the Municipal Auditorium, right in the middle of downtown Nashville. Uh, the building's been here for ages. We started as a museum to honor the musicians that are behind the scenes, the studio musicians, the road musicians, the uh, people that you know aren't necessarily the big stars, but the, the people that bring those projects to life, and, and uh, songs that we've all grown up hearing now. As the museum has evolved and grown, we include a lot of musicians that you do know, you know, names like Prince and Tom Petty and Elton John that, you know, that are big names. But the purpose of the thing started out to, uh, celebrate people like, uh, Benny Benjamin and James Jamerson of, of the Detroit Funk Brothers, the Motown guys that played on all those records, uh. People like the Hal Blaines and Tommy Tedesco and Carol Kays of the Wrecking Crew in, in Los Angeles. Uh, Booker T and the MGs backed a lot of people in Memphis. Uh, a lot a- of In Nashville. So, so all these mu- musicians that were kind of under the radar, uh, we want to tell their stories and honor them. So we have this amazing collection here right in the middle of Nashville of all types of music uh, that celebrates all these musicians. It's grown to include producers, songwriters, engineers. Uh, so from Jimi Hendrix, Johnny Cash to, um, to lesser known names like Gamble and Huff out of Philadelphia or uh, Swampers down in Muscle Shoals, Alabama, uh, these musicians that have made up soundtracks of our lives. Yeah. And, uh, typically, some of the most exciting stories are people you would have never even heard of, but you certainly know their work. Yeah. And you're, you're telling that story.
1: Yeah. Well, Jack, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, just go ahead. I was about, I was just going to say, I appreciate you being on the show.
0: Well, I appreciate you. And I want to tell you that not only from, do I know you from hockey, but, uh, I saw you give a inspirational speech, uh, talk at one time and it was great. Yeah. Uh, keep that up. That was really good. And, uh, I'm always glad to see you on the ice out there. <laughs> and, uh, I did a session with Charlie McCoy the other day, and he was a big supporter of Nashville hockey. And uh, he's also one of the Musicians Hall of Famers.
1: Yeah, uh, well, if you, yeah, tell 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 Charlie, I said, hey, he he may not remember me. I was just a little rug running around, but he was he was very inspirational and very giving. Uh, as as were a lot of the country music royalty. I never figured out why all the country music people were so into hockey. But when I was a kid, a lot of the big time players, uh, a lot of the big time stars donated their time to the hockey donated equipment to the hockey so you know we didn't have a lot of money as a kid so I was using scruffed up equipment Charlie McCoy probably paid for my first set of skates or you know Uh,
0: great well Charlie told me one time that he got season tickets for the uh, Nashville Knights Mm -hmm. uh, and and he, he bought tickets for Chet Atkins yeah his motivation on that was if Chet was going to all the hockey games, he wouldn't book sessions those nights. <laughs> Charlie wouldn't have to be booked on a session. <laughs> now that's thinking. So yeah, he was he was really uh, really using his noggin there. All right.
1: Well, we, we appreciate it, and I, I think your experience. Uh, you know, I'm glad I'm glad you shared it because it's it, business is business, and connecting with people, and 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 all the stuff that you went through. I think it it applies to everywhere. It's just uh, it's just the yep. other side of the coin. So uh, so keep on doing what you're doing, brother. And uh, if I can get if I can help with anything, give me a shout.
0: Well thanks man. And I will say this to, to if you're editing this, um, my biggest goal in business is if you're halfway intelligent and you're reliable, you'll go far. Yeah, you don't even right. have to be fully intelligent. Yeah. Yeah. But if you show up when you say you're gonna show up and you are a decent person, you'll succeed in Nashville. Show up and do the work.
1: That's it. All right, brother. Appreciate you. Have a great one, man. Thanks a lot, Terry. Bye now.
0: Get You Some Radio. You've been listening to the Get You Some Radio Show. Subscribe today at terrylancaster.tv to hear more episodes, win valuable cash and prizes, and get free training to help you create an army of buyers who know, like, and trust you before they've ever even met you. It's a big wide world, boys and girls. Get out there and get you some.